Hi, I'm Arun George and you're listening to 3 Things, the Indian Express news show. In today's episode we are analyzing infighting in the ruling political alliance in Bihar and how it could play out in the elections later this month. We're also looking at Uttar Pradesh Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath's statement on a day the Supreme Court gave orders in the case related to the rape and murder of a 19-year-old woman in Hathras district. But first, we're looking at why the government has decided to waive the extra interest imposed on those who took a moratorium on loans granted by the Reserve Bank of India. In a relief to borrowers across the country, the central government told the Supreme Court on the 3rd of October that it had decided to provide relief on compound interest charged during the 6-month moratorium period on loans. The government said it would waive the compound interest for borrowers who had taken the 6-month loan moratorium during which they did not pay any installments. The government said it would pay this money to the banks. The moratorium had been announced by the Reserve Bank of India after the government announced a complete shutdown to try and slow the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. But why did banks initially ask borrowers to pay this additional interest? What does this waiver mean and how does it affect the government's finances? To answer this and more we are now speaking with Udit Mishra who writes on the economy and finance for the explain section. Udit could you start by explaining why an additional interest was charged on those who took the moratorium for loans? You know one would think that a moratorium would mean a sort of holiday from making payments. So see the idea was that covid had been an unexpected uh, shock and something that nobody could have exactly prepared for and with covid uh, by covid i mean the covid induced uh, lockdown which was a sudden stop to all activity so the idea was that there might be a lot of businesses which are perfectly fine under normal circumstances capable of paying back their loan emis paying back their loans but because of the covid induced lockdowns they will not have any activity and there would be no way to pay back so the idea with the moratorium was that listen we'll give you a 3 month break or a 6 month break your tenure would be extended by 6 more months and in this 6 months you don't have to pay anything because we realize you're not getting any income and in all of this for the facility you will be charged a certain amount of compound interest basically an interest on the interest basically something for the banks or the person who lent you money to bide this period without getting any income because you must understand that say for many of the banks who had extended loans to different customers for them the interest that they earn or the emis that they get is the income and they use this income to then give depositors like you and me the interest that we get on our say savings banks deposit so this is the whole cycle so the idea with the moratorium was not that here is a three month gap which nobody really has to account for there is no free lunch here the idea was that okay these three or six months you are not able to pay so we will simply defer them for a period of 3 to 6 months and to provide you for this facility you will be charged a certain amount of interest so that was the essential issue so then this group of borrowers go to the supreme court and demand that this compounded interest or interest on interest is removed the supreme court asked the center to take a decision after which it says it will waive the interest on loans up to 2 crore rupees how much of a relief is this move so i mean the I'd, the initial initial thing was that the demand was to waive all interest on the loans for which moratorium was sought and according to some reports that number if the government had 
uh, sort of undertaken that that would have come to something like 6 lakh crores um and that would be something like 3 3.5% of india's gdp um for perspective um we spend only 1% of our gdp on on health so that would have been a huge huge number if government had to take that blow and if the government had asked the banks to take that blow and sort of not take that money then the banks would have totally gone under because that's a huge amount of money many of the banks would have actually said that you know we simply do not have the reserves the capital worth to cover for these kind of losses so what the government did was that it it said that okay instead of waiving all the interest on all the loans we will waive the interest on interest the compounded part and we will do that only for either msmes who are the most battered ones by the lockdowns or for personal loans which are up to 2 crores which is a fairly reasonable number because most people who are poor or relatively worse off in economic terms would not have taken loans more than 2 crores so the idea was to now just pay the interest on interest for those loans to the banks so the banks don't suffer and the people do not suffer and the government takes that blow and that number comes to something like you know very rough estimate something like 6000 crores so it's more affordable for the government to do um, under the circumstances you know the government has told the supreme court that this bibo will hit its own finances do we know how badly it will hit the government's finances see these numbers essentially it would depend on how many msmes sought a moratorium and then calculate interest on interest of those loans uh, as i said some of the reports that i've read uh, suggest that the hit on government finance would be around 6000 crores that is the extra amount of money that it will have to shell to different banks or creditors and save smes or personal uh, loan to have taken loan less than 2 crores so those who took the moratorium now don't have to pay that extra interest but what does it mean also for those who didn't take the moratorium reports say that the government is even considering what it terms as a reward for them see with any waiver there is a question of credit culture every time we talk about farm loan waivers or waivers of any nature which are sort of triggered by a crisis there is always a question of what it does to credit culture because if in a crunch period a government can come and waive loans for certain people or waive loans for all the people who are not able to pay then it does two things one it tells those people that next time they take a loan they can perhaps afford to not pay it back and the government will come back and rescue them and so it in that sense leads to a practice where more and more people default on their loans and also the other side of credit culture is that it is a penalty on those who are very determined to pay their loans in a timely fashion so if you wave off the loans of some sections of the society by saying that you know they are under some stress while some of the honest people continue to pay back their loans then that disincentivizes honesty in the future so what the government is doing by saying i mean why it might have thought about a reward system is to ensure that the credit culture is not ruined um and that is why it's thinking in terms of rewards see in a crisis a government has to pay some money either through waiving off some loans or by maybe giving some rewards to those who continue to pay back so government is perhaps thinking that it is better to pay money by rewarding people for their credit worthiness instead of rewarding people for not being credit worthy so if you've taken the moratorium you're getting the extra interest waived off and that's it 
yes that is all that you're going to get and and it's a good thing because at one level uh, while the covid disruption is massive and it is something that has destroyed large parts of the economy and the government needs to help people but there is this issue of credit culture if the government was to say listen we will waive off all the all the loans or all the interest for this period then a it is financially not viable for the government to do that and secondly it's a bad credit culture issue that you know people will always think that okay we'll continue to make money when the times are good and when the times are bad uh, for whatever reason government will come and rescue us so how does anybody lose keep taking loans without a worry in the world that you have to pay them back you mentioned this now multiple times in your answers but why does a credit culture matter for an economy when we are young in our 20s we've got our jobs our incomes may not be good enough to buy all the things we need say a washing machine or a dishwasher or a car or all that consumption and if we wait for the time when we have the money then by that time you would have lost 20 years of your productive life so credit is what actually makes the economy happen that credit that is given to you is based on the trust that you will earn money and pay it back and that credit allows you to consume more and the economy grows faster so you can you know it's it's like a fix to the slow growth problem but the availability of credit is completely uh, and utterly based on trust and if that culture of trust uh, goes away where those who are giving the money are not sure whether that money will come back then it will ruin the system in the long run and and you know people will stop extending loans and that's the simple point we've reported about how the government is facing criticism from some quarters over no further stimulus measures being announced for the economy you know does the government footing this bill affect any future rescue packages it does actually because you know government always has a massive constraint on its resources and as we've discussed so many times you know in terms of fiscal multipliers what the government wants to do with its money is of critical importance whether it wants to give free money you know simply transfer money to people's account or does it want to use that money to build a bridge or a road or build a hospital or a school all of that has an impact on the larger economy and what will you do so that is where we think in terms of productive assets and unproductive assets or unproductive uses of money so since government's finances are always constrained and we've seen that uh, even before the covid government's finances were massively constrained and covid totally destroyed the the ability for the government to either raise revenues or spend money at the level at which we want it's even more important now for the government to figure out if, that if it has less money where to spend it now it can waive a lot more loans perhaps but does that really improve the productive capacity or should it spend it in such a manner that allows for more economic activity to happen maybe something that crowds in private investment so it's a it's a tough call and that's why uh, i think the government has taken a calibrated approach where it has said okay we'll waive the interest on interest and not the whole interest and also that to only for a section of the loans for which moratorium was asked before we get to the next segment i just wanted your quick attention One of the big reasons people say that they like this show is because it helps them understand the news better. It provides them with the context they need to see the bigger picture. And there's perhaps no other place that does this better than the Indian Express's explained section. We on three things refer to the section regularly and it helps us make this show. If you're a regular reader of the newspaper, you know how useful the explained section can be, especially when you're looking for in-depth analysis by the right experts. 
you can log into indianexpress.com/explained and access their coverage 24/7. Explained by the Indian Express, where news that matters is explained by experts who know the subject. Now back to the show. Elections for the 243 seats in the Bihar Assembly will be held later this month, but key alliances have already been forged, and there have been some surprises. The biggest one came on Sunday when the Chirag Paswan-led Lok Janshakti Party or LJP announced that it would contest against ally Janata Dal United in the state. Now that's strange because both parties are in an alliance with the BJP in the center and in the central government. However, Santosh Singh, who covers Bihar for the Indian Express, says this wasn't exactly a big surprise given the party chief's moves. The script had begun, you know, this January itself when Chirag Paswan started first Bihari Yatra. And during the yatra, he started launching attack on Nitish Kumar, and thus tried to puncture development model of Nitish Kumar. He asked basic questions on the crime data, law and order. The script was ready, so you can say though somewhere BJP had been behind it, and then it started playing out. Santosh says that actor-turned-politician Chirag Paswan has been critical of Chief Minister Nitish Kumar's efficiency and age for some time now. But Santosh says there was an additional factor: the desire to be treated as an equal by the chief minister. He would always complain that Nitish Kumar never gave him parity. He would always share privately that when would Nitish Kumar meet him, he would say, "Okay, okay, you were just a child. I saw you in knickers. If there is there are serious things, I will talk it out with Rambilas. We work together long." Santosh says that Chirag Paswan's case is that he is now the national president of the party. But isn't being treated like one by an ally. But there's also a less emotive reason for the split: rebuilding the party and attempting to increase its influence by winning more seats. The long game is to rebuild the organization. He's testing its political water. At the same time, it's a very calculated move. He doesn't want to leave that BJP cushion at the center. He knows that his father is has been ailing, and he has been eyeing at the minister's position at the center. If not cabinet, of course, MOS independent as he might get it. So that is the whole plan. The script was ready, and all these talks of uh, seat sharing and the BJP offering this, these many, and he is not willing to accept. I think that was just a part of the plan because may not once he blamed BJP for the raw deal or seat sharing. But while the Lok Janshakti Party may want to increase its influence. Is it really a party that can dent the performance of the bigger Janata Dal? Santosh says we need to understand the history of the party, which was formed in 2000 when Ram Bilas Paswan split from the Janata Dal to form the Lok Janshakti Party. The party has won fewer seats in every state election since 2005, and in 2015 it won just two seats. It doesn't have much potential to win many seats on its own, but it does have potential to damage prospect of JDU. Say if see there are at least fifteen twenty seats where JDU can fill OBC candidate. LJP what LJP can do? LJP can fill upper caste candidates. Upper caste voters do not have any aversion towards LJP. And once LJP is there, LJP can go as dummy of BJP. What LJP insiders say, they can surely hurt the chances of JDU. And if BJP voters still vote for them. They can even win 10-15 seats. That is the whole idea. The Lok Janshakti Party may thus hope to benefit by winning over BJP's voters. Walking out of alliances also isn't new to the party. 
In 2014, it left the Congress-led United Progressive Alliance and joined the BJP-led National Democratic Alliance. This switch came despite party founder Ram Vilas Paswan's opposition to the BJP allegedly over the 2002 communal riots in Gujarat. Santosh says that the switch was influenced by Chirag Paswan and the party has actually benefited from it. The move by the Lok Jan Shakti party also comes at a time the Janata Dal has seen itself compelled to share more power with the BJP, having walked out of a grand alliance with the Rashtriya Janata Dal and Congress following an electoral victory in the 2015 elections. In a seat-sharing deal announced on Tuesday afternoon, the Janata Dal said it would contest 122 seats, while the BJP would contest 121 seats, practically putting them on equal footing. Whole idea is to capitalize on board. BJP sees that it is a, okay. This is a three-term, third term of Nitish Kumar. Of course, any chief minister faces anti-incumbency. So does he. Uh, more so because of the mismanagement of uh, COVID and migration issues, especially in the first phase. And in the second half, uh, the government did pretty well with the tackling COVID thing and the, also the migration with so many government tools. That's fine, but. I think uh, JDU is worried. Uh, JDU, JDU sees the BJP. BJP has been behind all this, but doesn't want to say it no publicly. So the Janata Dal knows that the BJP is likely behind Chirag Paswan's rebellion, that in turn could dent its own chances in the upcoming elections. So why isn't Nitish Kumar cutting off ties with allies who seem intent on his downfall? Santosh says one major factor that kept the Janata Dal from doing anything was the timing of Chirag Paswan's announcement. LJP dragged their exit till the last, till the moment RJD-led alliance was declared. When RJD declared its seat sharing, where was the scope for JDU to take a second thought, take an alternative call? The RJD alliance was sealed. Now Nitish Kumar has no, even if he thinks he has no option to walk out. They just hope that they can repeat 2010 assembly election result and all these the talks of anti-incumbency factory evaporates and they are back to majority. And once they are back to power with good numbers, all these LJP, Salvoj, all these things would disappear. Santosh says that now Nitish Kumar and the Janata Dal have to contest against the opposition and its own ally. It also has to hope that factors like anti-incumbency don't dent its prospects, allow it to return to power and then lets it dictate terms in the alliance again. But how much does this chaos in the ruling alliance help the opposition? I think it can hurt. It can hurt both ways. I think it's collateral kind of damage. It can hurt NDA. It can, I think, to an extent, it can benefit RGD as well. Santosh says a lot will depend on how the opposition uses this rift to its advantage and how much voting is affected by factors like the COVID-19 pandemic and migrants returning home. The Janata Dal also has to contend with the nebulous factor of anti-incumbency, which might be a factor given Nitish Kumar has now been in power for 15 years as a chief minister. Santosh says that the chief minister didn't win himself any friends with his initial handling of the pandemic, where he did little to bring back the state's residents stranded in other states due to lockdown. In politics, you know, when there is emotion, the logic doesn't work. So, of course, there is anti-incumbency and people are happy that there are good roads. They have good school buildings now. And I think a health sector needs a revamp, but still, it's okay, fine, as compared to what it was during Lalu Prasad and Congress rule. And worryingly, the chief minister's party, the Janata Dal, could face the brunt of this anti-incumbency sentiment. BJP, despite being NDA partner, doesn't face that kind of anti-incumbency as chief minister does. So that is another catch. 
this is where i would say the politics would play out very interesting on the face of it it looks very simple can hands down nda would win but what if uh, you know there is slump in vote percentage and some percentage of votes goes to opposition camp then on 10th of number there could be some interesting reading but how strong is the opposition the tejasvi yadav led rashtriya janata dal or rjd has cemented a seat sharing formula with the congress and left parties to ensure that if there is a victory they will benefit the most from it santosh says that this time the rashtriya janata dal has made sure it isn't as liberal in giving seats to its allies and has been more careful in its choice of allies their theory was very simple that our alliance partners are taking my votes but they are not able to transfer their votes to us their allegation was that no mutual transfer of votes that is that was their worry so they decided okay let us contest on equal number of seats rebuild the organization asserts its authority and give maximum seats to our supporters so that we can say okay we are contesting on these many numbers of seats and second thing which is also important they do not want a situation in which the smaller parties can dictate terms it is very easy for the small parties to you know defect say if if a party gets 15 seats the two third majority is they can easily defect to nda they did, so they do not want this situation so they think okay congress and rjd and also left congress cannot go to bjp ideology i just left cannot go to right so they think ki all these small parties they were like bloaters they, their loyalty was not fixed oscillating loyalty so they just narrowed down to congress and left as partners and rjd in lead role the younger of party founder lalu prasad yadav's two sons tejasvi has also left little doubt on who is the opposition alliance's chief ministerial candidate tejasvi this time ensured that the two allies agree that tejasvi is the chief minister candidate at the very first press conference he started his you know remarks with thanking the allies partner for opposing faith in his leadership he asserted himself santosh says that this assertiveness also cements the cricketer turn politician's position as heir apparent in the rjd and makes the upcoming election a clash between him and nitish kumar you can say that he is 231 or a small age in politics but he has seen politics for 10 years now i remember that he had come to rjd office for the first time 2010 election he campaigned in the 2010 elections it is in 2020 so he has seen you know some losses in between victory as well he became deputy minister and also as deputy chief minister he did well so he thinks ki okay it's time for me to assert my presence in the party my authority in the family as well okay i am the higher apprent of lalu prasad and this message should go across to all alliance partner and to their voters to sum it up the janata dal is going into this election facing anti incumbency and allies who don't mind pulling it down led by tejasvi yadav the opposition will battle to finish with a majority and won't have it easy so could this mean that after the 10th of november nitish kumar and the janata dal could do what a shiv sena did in maharashtra and return to a grand alliance with the rjd and congress just to retain power it is too early to say but it can't be ruled out see this is this election is a game of who becomes the single largest party among uh, bjp jdu and rjd hum vikas sabka karenge suraksha sabko denge lekin tushtikarna kisi ka nahi karenge
That's Uttar Pradesh Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath claiming that his government would work for all and appease none and warning those trying to create anarchy in the state. The chief minister spoke of how the state had dealt with people trying to provoke violence during the Anti-Citizenship Amendment Act protests or those shielding Tablighi Jamaat members to spread the coronavirus. The chief minister also alleged there was a conspiracy at work to malign the image of his government and develop caste and communal animosity in society. He had earlier alleged that conspiracies are being hatched every day against his government by those who want to incite caste and communal riots. The speech by the chief minister came hours after the Supreme Court asked the Uttar Pradesh government to file an affidavit on how witnesses were being protected in the case filed over the rape and murder of a 19-year-old Dalit woman in Hathras district. The Supreme Court also asked the government to ascertain whether the 19-year-old Dalit woman's family had a lawyer representing them. On Monday, the Uttar Pradesh police had filed 21 cases across the state alleging attempts to incite caste and communal tension and defame the state government using social media platforms and public meetings. The charges in these 21 cases include sedition, criminal conspiracy and promoting enmity. A senior police official had told the Indian Express that in the six main FIRs that were filed in Hathras, all the accused are still to be identified. You were listening to The Three Things by The Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Arun George, and as always, was edited and mixed by our producer, Joshua Thomas. Before we go, here's another reminder to check out Indian Express's Explained page. You can log on to indianexpress.com forward slash explained and find in-depth analysis by the right experts. It has everything you need to know to understand the news better and see the bigger picture. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at indianexpress.com.